I'm going to start down here. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Everybody have a good holiday? Yes, absolutely. Uh, today I want to talk to you about anticipation. I think I know that we are past the holiday season essentially now that it's the 2nd of January, but today's passage is really a Christmas story as well. We still see the baby Jesus. And until we move away from the baby Jesus, it's still Christmas. Would you agree? So this is an interesting part of uh, the, the text. Because we get the presentation of Jesus. And we get some things that are said about Jesus that are just beautiful and wonderful in anticipation of his coming. So I think about Christmas and I think about the times where I was excited. And then the best part about Christmas when you were younger was just the waiting. Wasn't it? Especially when you saw presents perhaps start to show up on, on the tree, if you had one, wrapped. And then you as a little child, I know as me as a little child, I would go and try to shake or try to see, or, or especially as a little child, I would see which was the biggest one, right? You try to figure, oh, this, this must be the best gift because it's the largest one. I remember my parents one time decided to have these little gifts and just <laughs> pack them all in these huge boxes. So we just would be so excited and like, oh, what? I keep going box after box after box. A cruel joke, but it was fun. The anticipation, the waiting of Christmas. I, I remember, gosh, I don't remember how old I was, but back when I was younger, kids, we had this thing where uh, you didn't get everything. Everything was sold out. You couldn't buy online. And so your parents had to wait for long times and long lines just to get something if they wanted to get you a thing that was the hot item of the year. Now, I remember when I was younger, it was a Nintendo game called Super Mario Brothers 2. You, it was everywhere, but nowhere at the same time. And it was new, it was exciting, and now I, I'm especially proud of my Nintendo because I worked hard over a whole summer to earn the money to buy it myself, and I wanted that game for Christmas. So I asked for it for Christmas, in anticipation of it. My parents, I could tell that you know, there was no Nintendo game under the tree the whole year. Like the whole, the whole month of December, I'm like, where is it? I know I want that. I know my parents are really good about doing this because they work for my sisters. And it's not fair if I don't get something like that. But, but all the reports on the news, you watch the TV, we used to do that back then too, uh, said that they were just sold out everywhere. The anticipation, anticipation, anticipation of waiting and wanting and, and just yearning for one thing to happen, to, to come, to, to be mine. And then Christmas morning, I don't know about you kids or, or maybe when your adults when you were younger, you wake up before anyone else did and ran to see what may have come. And sure enough, right there, I stole the joy from my parents by seeing it under the tree, unwrapped, unwrapped. I, I, I don't know if I screamed or not, but I was so, so excited, and then like for about two hours, I'm like looking at all this stuff that was unwrapped for my sisters too, and I went back to bed. I get up, and I'm like, okay, it's time for Christmas. Christmas, you know, and then I had to fake it, right? I had to go, like, oh, great, like, you know, it was, it was, it was a fun time, but that waiting, the anticipation, finally got it. So what I wanted to do, I, and I learned that our microphone is kind of, um, messed up right now. So what I want to do is while I'm down here is I want to hear from you. What is the one gift that you anticipated that you got that was as exciting for you? Think about it by show of hands. I want to hear from you what it was. For me, it was a video game back when I don't know how old I was, but what is what gift for you were anticipating? What's the or the best gift that you received? Let's hear from you. 
show of hands. Who has a gift for me? All right, back here. I have to come to you so I can hear it. Yes. A carousel horse. A carousel horse. Awesome. Is that the ones where you hop on and you went around in a circle? You couldn't get on it. Okay. <laughs> a lamp. Awesome. Awesome. The anticipated the wedding. Yes. A bicycle. Absolutely. Hamilton tickets. Well, that was recent, wasn't it? Oh, what else? Who else? Over here. Awesome. What do you have for us? Nintendo Switch. Awesome. I was just talking about Nintendo games. I'm not even sure. By the way, on the Nintendo Switch, if you get the live version, you can play Super Mario Brothers 2. <laughs> All right, back here. Now we have some hands. Everybody's getting excited about this, aren't they? What, what do you have? A laptop. Wow, awesome. What, what do you have for me? Easy Bake Oven. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> oh, I wish my oven baked easy. <laughs> Over here. Yes. Kodak box camera. A Kodak box camera. Oh, those were so fun, aren't they? I remember my parents when they got a Polaroid, right where the, where the, uh, where the, the film came out. That was pretty fun to play with. Uh, now those are popular again. All right, one more. Do what? Concert tickets. Awesome. So we've heard quite a few things, right? And the anticipation of Christmas is just that, that we're so excited in the waiting and the wanting and the yearning that we see that when we get something, it's just exciting, right? It's fun. It's something we want again. So uh, in today's passage, we're going to see two people who particularly have been waiting on the Lord, waiting for His coming. You see, but for about 400 years before this time, before the birth of Christ, the prophets were silent. From Malachi to Matthew, that was about 400 years before there had been a, a prophet of the Lord to share anything about the Savior that was to come. That's a long wait. How many generations do you think that is? Quite a bit, right? Think about you as a little child and your parents and your grandparents saying, this is what we're waiting for. This is what we're waiting for. Not just you for a month. It's them for years, decades, centuries, millennium, waiting for the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, the one to save them from their sins. And we see two people's accounts here. So let's get into the text here in Luke chapter 2, 21 through 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Amen. And God bless the reading of his word. All right. So... I've been given a passage in our series in Luke that deals with some things in the law. And, and parents, I'm going to speak about some of these things. And I know that kids are in here, so I'm going to be very discerning about what I say about the things in the law here particularly. But if your kids have any questions, I just want you to be prepared. They may ask some questions of what these things are that are mentioned. I want to explain some things, but not fully everything because of the children that are in here. So we want to make that caveat. So the first thing we see, the very first thing, is that on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So we think about Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. These four people are going to do some things within this passage. We see it starts with circumcision and ends with them ends with the passage in 40 which says once they've done all the things of the law. So this is the command of the Lord. We see this in Leviticus. In chapter 12, it says this. A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her. But if she cannot afford the lamb... She is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. 
In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. So here we have the law of both the circumcision for the male and, and what the mother is to do concerning her purification for the, with the temple. All right, so I'm going to talk about the first one first, is, is, is circumcision. Because there's a lot of things here that are very deep theologically with Jewish law, and, and even now for us today as Christians. I've already said this was prescribed as a law. Um, to receive the sign made one a part of the family of God, essentially. This was a sign and a seal that you were God's children, that you were his and he was yours. Right? This is the sign that he had for Israel. Uh, the special blessings that were attached to that covenant that he made to Abraham were, were only available to those in the covenant. So it was necessary that all the household covering Abraham uh, be marked in this way, servants and livestock as well, as it says in Leviticus. And the blessings of God concerning this covenant weren't particularly given to those outside the family, even though the sign itself was not a guarantee of that blessing. All right, so there's this sign. Right? Circumcision is a physical thing that happened uh, that gave a sign, a physical sign, a sight of what God's children are. It's not only a sign, but it was a seal. It was a seal of the covenant. So to receive this sign meant you were part of a sealed covenant community, God's children. And the special blessings which um, attached to that covenant were only for those in the covenant, like I said before. So, a sign and a seal that you are God's children, that he has set you apart for his work. It also represented a kind of consecration, as we're going to see with Jesus in a little bit. Uh, this was explicit in the act of obedience itself, and a physical reminder of the removal of sin. Right? But it never was merely meant to be regarded as a physical sign. So like in Deuteronomy 10.16, uh, Moses speaks to simply not just the physical aspect of that, but what concerns your heart. It says, circumcise your heart, therefore. Do not be stiff-necked any longer. And further on in Deuteronomy 36, 30, verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So this physical thing that God has said in the law pointed... To Jesus pointed to a time where there would be our heart and soul belong to God. Not just a family name, not just a descendant of a line, but our hearts and souls. So circumcision was meant to be obeyed by the law for the Jews, uh, but it meant so much more than that. It's much more than just physical. So I had a question that I asked, why was Jesus circumcised then? If this was about the physical reminder of the removal of sin, why did he have to have this? And the answer lies simply because he came to fulfill the law. Everything under the law he had to do. So like his baptism, Jesus' circumcision was to fulfill all righteousness, as it says in Matthew. He could say with David, I delight in you, Lord. Your law is on my heart. He could say those things because he fulfilled them. Everything that the law said to do that God had said in his word to obey, he obeyed. And his parents were doing this right by doing this for him as well. 
And Jesus kept God's law perfectly throughout his whole life. At the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived our sinful lives. And in doing so, God can now treat us as if we had lived Jesus' perfect life. And I'll explain a little bit more of that later. But while circumcision is the sign and seal of the covenant, for us today, the ones who have placed their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the seal of salvation is not circumcision anymore. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we place our faith in Him, God takes up residence in us. We are sealed in Him. Our salvation is sealed. The sign then that we have is not circumcision anymore as well, but it's water baptism. So as our first act of obedience, God has instructed us that when we share the world, that well, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So for the Jews, the sign and seal was circumcision. For us, the seal of our, of our, that we are the family of God is the indwelling Holy Spirit by our grace through faith. And the sign is water baptism. So Jesus' parents obeyed the law first by having the child circumcised when he was eight days old. Now the law also said 33 days later then, now it's Mary's turn. Right? So this was a simpler road this time, the, the trip they had to make. Uh, it was simply 40 days after Jesus' birth. So we see Mary and Joseph use this second form of sacrifice, showing that they were in a humble state. Right, what did it say they had to do? Bring a lamb or the things that Scripture says that they brought? The two, two pairs of do- or a pair of doves and two young pigeons. So what does this say about Mary and Joseph? Right, if, they, if they can't afford the lamb, they are to do this other thing. The Scripture says they did the other thing, so they're not well off at this point. Right? They're in a humble state. Which gives us some indication that the wise men has not shown up yet with their rich gifts. So anytime you see an activity with the wise men, you think, well, they're not really there yet. At least 40 days later, they're not. In fact, a lot of, a lot of the scripture we can go to that's not in Luke uh, suggests it's about a year, close to even maybe two years, that the wise men show up to give these gifts. But right now, they're not a rich family. Right now, they don't have these gifts to trade in for the lamb. Right now, they have the, the pair of doves and two young pigeons. Right? So they're fulfilling the law. They're doing exactly what God had told them to do. This showed two things here. That one, I already said that the wise men weren't there, uh, but two, that Mary required the forgiveness and redemption that her son Jesus was to offer. Let me see this. That they offer these things for her own purification and for Jesus' consecration to the Lord. And, they had, and this is also, if you see, sometimes you'll see this as the redeeming of the firstborn child. Right? This is Jesus' presentation in the temple. Sometimes you'll see it as a consecration of the Lord. Sometimes you'll see it as the redeeming of the firstborn child in the Old Testament. And this is found also in Exodus 13. We see this. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belong to me, whether human or animal. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors, 
You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with the mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hands and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So that's the reason why we have this. The reason why the law was written that they were to do these things, to remind them of God's salvation, his redemption, to bring them out of slavery. Right? Which, and this also still points to the grander thing that this is what happened in the Old Testament. This is the law. And it's interesting that every piece of the law pointed to a future salvation through Christ, even here. And so do this. Go do this. Consecrate, redeem your firstborn son. Take your son, your newborn baby, Jesus, 40 days old, to the temple and consecrate him. Our Lord's relationship to the law is just an important part of his saving ministry. I want you to see from these first four verses that when we look at circumcision, Mary's purification, Jesus' consecration, we see that the law pointed to God having grace on his people with forgiveness and salvation. Not only for them, the Jews, but much more in Jesus. And we'll see the salvation in the next few verses as we dive into Simeon and Anna. So as we get to this, we see this beautiful, beautiful thing that Simeon has, has said as he takes Jesus into his arms. Remember, Simeon, what, did, what do we see about him? That he was waiting. He was waiting. His parents were waiting. His grandparents were waiting. All the way back to Genesis 3, when God promised Adam, one will come. Right? So generation after generation, they're waiting for Jesus. He finally gets there. In fact, the Holy Spirit tells him that you're not going to die, essentially, until you see Jesus. Until you see the Savior to come, you won't die. Now, I always thought that was kind of interesting and funny for me, because if I knew I wasn't going to die until something were to happen in my life, how many risks could I take in my life? You know, I would have no problem, uh, maybe no fear climbing a mountain, maybe no fear uh, skydiving or bungee jumping, right? Knowing that this is going to happen, I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, thing that he knows for a fact he's not going to die until he sees Jesus, until he sees the Savior. And then he takes him in his arms and he praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon understands something here. The Holy Spirit's on him. And I love verse 30. It says, my eyes have seen your salvation. So a lot of people think that the gift of salvation is something that, that Jesus hands to us. Like, if we place our faith in Christ, we're saved by grace through faith. The salvation is something Jesus is standing there. He says, here's a wrapped gift like we see at Christmas. That's not the case. Not the case at all. The wrapped gift of Christmas is Jesus himself. The wrapped gift of salvation is him. It's not that Jesus gives us a a salvation. It's that he is our salvation. And Simeon understands this. 
And, and this beautiful thing, it says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You, Jesus, are salvation. But you prepare in the sight of all nations a light for revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Then he changes gears, right? He, he turns to the family. He turns to Mary in particular. And he says, Jesus is going to be rejected. That's what he's simply saying. Jesus is going to be rejected. And this was announced early in his life. Just as the prophets of old, right? Jesus would be the one that would be spoken against, would be, would be cast out. And he mentions the sword for Mary too. Now it's unclear what this kind of refers to. It could refer to the sorrow that Mary experienced by the rejection of her son. But Luke kind of talks about it in other places. So more likely, it seems like to me, um, and this, again, this is unclear, uh, so this is more of a Scottism here, that he's referring to Mary having difficulties and stumbling on her own son's mission. And I see this maybe in like the first miracle that Jesus planned at the wedding where he turned water into wine. Even Mary is like... Um, hey, do this. And he's like, no, this, no, my time hasn't come. So there's a lot of her stumbling and not understanding his mission particularly. But that could be that, what it is. We read this thing where Simeon finally says, hey, God, now, I, that first verse he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's simply saying, you can let me die now. That's what he's saying. I have seen all I've anticipated. I have, I have opened the gift. It's, I've opened the gift. And, and what do you do? What do you do, kids, when you open those gifts on Christmas? Do you go to the next gift or you try to play with that gift immediately? I don't know, for me, I try to play with that gift immediately. It'd be like, oh, let me just take this. I grabbed that game, went to my room. My parents were like, hey, we're not done yet. What are you doing? Right? Don't go play the game right now. We have more things to do and share with the family. I wanted to enjoy it right then. This is Simeon saying, look, I, I want to, and I, I have Jesus in my arms. I want to enjoy the salvation now. Let me just go and be in heaven now. Because I want to play. Uh, the, the gift has come. I've anticipated it. Now my salvation, you have come. And I, you're allowed to see it. Uh, but there's some warnings for Mary that... He will be rejected and spoken against. And then we get to Anna. Uh, there's this a prophetess, if you will, a prophet, the daughter of Penuel and the tribe of Asher. I'm not really sure why Luke mentioned who she was a part of, uh, tribe-wise. But we know that she was uh, old, very old, as the scripture says. She had lived with her husband seven years and then was a widow for 84 so a very well-aged woman, never left the temple, worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them that very moment, she gave thanks to God, spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. They've all been waiting. And now she has finally seen the Savior as well. Being a prophetess, a prophet, she, she recognized Jesus for who he is. Notice something similar here in Simeon that we see in uh, with Anna that Luke records. Simeon is mentioned as righteous and devout. Anna is mentioned as a prophet that has a long life of devotion with fasting and prayer. I see a strong connection here with they got to see the Lord. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think God chose these guys? 
I think it's something that has to do with the way Luke describes their character. Righteous, devout, fasting, praying. Luke uses two adjectives to describe the kind of people Simeon and Anna are. And if you know anything about Luke, if you read through the book of Luke, you'll see he likes to do those pairs of adjectives with people. Their character, their actions qualify them to be reliable sources when it comes to who they spoke about concerning Jesus. So let's think about us right here. We're waiting on something. What are we waiting on? I'm not talking about gifts, but there's lots of things that we can wait on when it comes to the Lord. Maybe we're waiting on an answer or a direction of some kind or how we are to proceed this way or we are to go next or how we're to handle our children or our spouses or how we're supposed to act around them. Or maybe there's this decision that needs to be made with a mom or a dad. Right? And so we wait on the Lord. We, we, we pray, maybe even fast, and we wait for God's answer. And while we're waiting, I wanted you to see what Simeon and Anna does. What do they do while they're waiting? If it says that Simeon was devout and righteous, kind of gives us a clue about what he's doing while he's waiting. He's serving the Lord. He's following the law. He's doing what God has told him to do. He's adventurously expectant. Right? <clears throat> like Anna. We see her being devoted with fasting and prayer as she's waiting in the temple. She's devoted and righteous as well. She's fasting. She's praying. She's doing. She's working. She's serving. She's obeying God while she waits. So a lot of us can be so bogged down with the wait that we think our life kind of stops sometimes. But it doesn't. Life goes on. People still move. Choices still need to be made. But while we're waiting on God for those things, I think we should definitely see the example of Simeon Anna and take it to heart with fasting, prayer, devotion. Do what's right in the sight of God. They were adventurously expectant. They never stopped waiting. But while they were waiting, there were things to be done. Always things to be done. So, what ministry do you have here at Dogwood? While you're waiting on that next big thing in your life, or maybe even the next small thing in your life, what ministry do you have at Dogwood? There are plenty to be involved with. Lots of things. Children, youth, lots of things the adults are doing to share God's love as we wait for that next big thing, whatever it is in your life. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be anything at church that we're waiting on. You may be thinking, hey, what is, what is, where am I going to find my next job? But as you're waiting for that, serve. Serve. Because what happens when Simeon and Anna are still serving as they're waiting? They are completely blessed. They got to see exactly what they were waiting on their whole life. And how excited were they about it? You can almost feel the excitement as they, especially with Simeon as he holds Jesus. Like, I can now, I can now die and go to heaven because I've finally seen you. Your salvation. What are we waiting on? What devotion do we have? We should be adventurally expectant. And I don't usually do this. 
I don't usually go to this version of the Bible, but I found uh, this, the Message Bible put something in a very neat way uh, concerning this. And it's found in Romans, and I'll just read it for you. It says, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Reading God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Isn't that beautiful? The life that God wants you to have. The resurrection life. What is it saying? It's saying, trust in Jesus. As we put our faith in Christ, we have that resurrection life. The scripture says that we will be raised with Him in glory as when, we, when we finally die. We will be raised with Him. And with this resurrection life you receive from God is not only then, it's now. As even as we're waiting, just like Simeon and Anna, it's now. It's devotion. It's righteousness. It's prayer. It's fasting. Not timid. It's not grave tending. We don't just sit around and wait to die. <laughs> we don't. It's adventurously expectant. If any of you have done anything in ministry, serving God, you see this joy. You'll feel that joy. You'll know that joy. It's adventurously expectant. And then when that thing, that done, that ministry part is done, there's the next ministry thing to be done. It says, greeting God with a childlike, what's next? What's next? I'm ready. Kind of like a kid at Christmas, right? You open up a present. What's next? What's next? I don't know about you, but I've had some Christmases where the whole floor, we couldn't even tell where the presents were. There was just so much wrapping paper, right? It's just rip, 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 rip. And then, uh, well, okay, what do we do now? It's just like <laughs> childlike wonder, childlike anticipation. What's next? I don't want to sit around and do nothing. I don't want to sit around and be timid, grave-tending, just waiting to die. I want to get busy. And I want to serve God. I want to be devout and be righteous, prayer and fasting. And then when at the end of the day, <laughs> I want to see the Savior, don't we? If we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, we place our faith in Him as Lord and Savior, then we will see Him face to face, just like Simeon and Anna. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this day. I want to just say that I pray that I finish well. I finish well like Simeon, that as, as an older man, devout and righteous, gets to see you in the end. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be adventurously expectant that you're not some killjoy, that serving you and honoring you is, is, is blessings galore. Thank you so much for that. And I pray for those here this morning that, that hear that, that haven't placed their trust in you as Lord and Savior. Lord, may today be the day of that eventually expectant life, the day of your salvation, the resurrection life that's theirs to grab. I thank you for that example that you've given us with Simeon and Anna and even in Mary Joseph as they were followers of the law as well Lord that they would just marvel at the things said about Jesus and even as we read scripture and even as 
We know for those of us who trust in you as Lord and Savior, the dwelling Holy Spirit within us just cries out as we read Scripture. We still marvel at you. I don't want to stop marveling ever. I always want to be amazed and awed and, and going to you with a childlike wonder after every little thing that happens as, as you bless us, as we, as we serve you and say, what's next? I'm ready. I pray that everyone here could catch that fire. What's next, Papa? Show us how to finish well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.